Well, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 this morning. As we continue our study of Luke's gospel, we find ourselves in a very familiar passage to you. Luke 18, verse 15, we'll begin a wonderful passage, which I think is greatly helpful and inspiring and encouraging, and I'd like to consider that with you this morning. You'll find this passage on page 877 in the Pew Bible. And as always, if you like a Bible, take that pew Bible as your own. We'd love to be able to give that to you. Uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Hear now the Word of God. Now they were bringing even infants to Him that He might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to Him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, our time to consider it this morning. We pray that you would help and guide and bless through your spirit, that he would open up our our minds to understand and our hearts for His role as He seeks to change us through the preached Word. And so come even now, Holy Spirit, help and bless us for the glory of our Father, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. It was on June 17th, the year 1 B.C., that a man named Hilarion, which someone ironically means cheerful, wrote a letter to his pregnant wife, Elise. He was instructing her what to do after the birth of their child, writing, If it is a male child, let it live. If it is female, cast it out. This is the uh, practice of infanticide that was uh, unfortunately common in these ancient days. It actually was not outlawed until 375 A.D. in the Roman Empire, um, that the, the idea that you could take what children you want and get rid of the ones that you do not want. Children in this day were not highly regarded. They were even, as you see, considered expendable. Now, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure much has changed in our view of children. What uh, Hilarion instructed his wife to do, I believe, Behind closed doors, at least, occurred uh, over a million times last year in America through the process of abortion. That humans, by the way, um, through abortion, continue to prefer males to females. The Economist wrote in the year 2010, Economist magazine, by the way, no friend to pro-life causes, wrote an article called Gender Side, noticing that in the countries like Bangladesh and Taiwan, India and China, there have been an additional 200 million abortions simply on sex selection based on girls. An additional 200 million. 200 million. That's half the population in the United States in the past 40 years. An additional 200 million. But of course, we could even look outside of the horrors of abortion and see that we are liable, I think, to the accusation that children are not important in our culture. They seem to be continued to be abandoned, uh, particularly by fathers. Today, tonight, 
40% of children in America, it's two out of five children in America will sleep in a home without their biological father living in that home. And even if we um, do not abandon our children like that, we often ignore them. I think kids often today are being raised by the television. They're home watching TV, wondering when dad would come home, where's mom? Peter Gibbon, a social commentator, wrote, I think somewhat um, even more. He wrote in 1993. He's not a Christian, by the way, but I think his words apply even more today. He said, I am terrified that our children are not being raised by exemplary lives and confident schools, nor by high culture, vigilant communities, families, churches, and temples, but rather by an all-enveloping enemy culture interested in amusement, titillation, and consumerism. I believe this is the culture in which we find ourselves today. We've lost an understanding, I believe, perhaps never had an understanding of how important children are. Pastor Kent Hughes, in uh, preaching on this passage, he imagines what it would be like to travel the galaxy. He says, if I could travel multiples of the speed of light, past countless yellow-orange stars and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light-years below the Milky Way, and if I could slow down and observe close up new stars bursting forth from their foggy cocoons, in all my stellar journeys, I would never see anything as wondrous as a birth of a baby. Babies, not stars, are the apex of God's creation. They bear the very image of the Creator God, and by God's grace, one day, that child can be transformed into a complete and perfect likeness of Jesus Christ. Children, I believe, are God's magnum opus. They are his masterpieces, and it is therefore no surprise to me that Jesus loved them. In fact, we in our study of Luke's gospel, we've seen him, his love for children, as he ministers to the father whose only son is possessed by a demon in Luke 9, or you remember him ministering to the synagogue ruler whose only daughter had died. We've heard it in his teaching, for he said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28, whoever welcomes this little child in my home welcomes me, right? And to all this, to this, we add this wonderful story here that we consider this morning of Jesus um, being, being surrounded, being rushed by these children in order to receive his blessing. In fact, this story evidently made such an impact upon the apostles that it's actually recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I simply just want to settle down on these three verses this morning and consider what Jesus has to teach us about children. And I hope that he will bless us in doing so Um, today. I just want to let you, it's kind of a, despite the the introduction of this message, it's kind of a low-key sermon, if you will. Not a lot of deep thinking today. I hope that's Okay, uh, I, I fully intended, to be honest, to preach this passage along with the passage I preached last week, to preach them together, the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector. They go well together. But, you know, I was thinking, we, we've been in Luke's travel narratives for a while. And I, I don't know if you're feeling this, but it's been intense. Right? Forgive seven times in a day. 
right? We're all just unworthy servants. He's taught us, give away your money. We've talked about divorce and remarriage. Recently, we've had a couple of nice sermons on hell, right? We talked about vultures eating dead people, right? I mean, it's been intense. So I thought maybe if it's okay, we just kind of let the air out of the balloon a little bit and enjoy Jesus and, and with kids on his laps today. Um, and I have three, as you see, there's three very simple points. There's no real subtlety to them. Uh, the Lord to love children and we're to teach children and we're to learn from children. So um, perhaps you would even now in your heart just pray that God would help you to value children as you should and maybe maybe even pray in your heart that you will find your way into the kingdom of God today. First of all, Jesus teaches us we should love children. Note verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And so here we, the scene is, is Jesus there and, and they're bringing babies to Jesus. The word infants is sometimes, that same word, sometimes translated to refer to children old enough to read Scripture. So it's not just babies. Uh, probably included in that word are four-year-olds and five-year-olds. In the, the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, they say the children were walking to Jesus, so they're old enough to walk, right? And, and so here they are. you got babies being brought. You have toddlers. You have four-year-olds and five-year-olds all coming to Jesus. Now, I was teaching my kids this passage a number of weeks ago, and I said, why do you think, I asked my kids, why do you think these kids are coming to Jesus? And they all gave my answer. My favorite answer, I think it was given by Gideon, was because Jesus is awesome. <laughs> and I thought that was a good answer. Right? That's why they're Jesus. going to Jesus because Jesus is awesome. I know of another pastor who asked his kids that same question. And his son said, I think they wanted to play with him because Jesus is fun. Right? Um, and I think that's a good answer too. Jesus is I mean, we think about the attributes of God quite often. We think, okay, God is holy and God is just and God is all-knowing and He's everywhere at all times and He's fun. I mean, do we ever add fun onto the attributes of God? Do we ever think about God as being fun? I think Jesus was fun. I think, I think we should probably would do well to repent and be fun like Jesus. And I think these kids want, kids need us to be fun. They clearly wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus seems to be a natural with them. They brought them to Jesus that he might touch them, which was a common practice in the day for rabbis, that they lay their hands upon these children's heads uh, or, or their shoulders, and they would pronounce a blessing or offer a prayer for them. And you, you could see that, can't you? Jesus, these kids being brought to Jesus and him, him praying over them and him pronouncing, whispering in their ear a blessing upon them. In fact, we know in Mark's account that he didn't simply touch them but that he took them up into his arms. He cuddled them. Give me that baby, Jesus says. I want to pray over this. Can you imagine him just hand upon a little baby's head, asking for God's blessing upon them? Now, I want to be clear here. Um, there is no water in this account. You notice that? Um, and I, I mention that because some want to use this passage as an argument for baptizing infants. And I came across this many times and many uh, commentaries I was reading to prepare in this passage. Even John Calvin, of course, one of my favorite theologians, says that this passage is a shield against the rebaptizers, which would be us. Okay, I prefer Spurgeon, who said, the text has not the shadow of the shade of the ghost of a connection with baptism. 
All right? Okay? <laughs> Listen, you can find passages of the Bible where there are babies, and you can find passages in the Bible where there is baptism, but you cannot find a single passage in the Bible where there are both babies and baptism. Right? It does not happen as Jesus instructs us to go make disciples, and disciple begins by being baptized. And so here are these, these babies and these toddlers and these five-year-olds coming to Jesus, not to be baptized by Jesus, but to be blessed by Jesus, that he might touch them and bless them. Now, I don't know if you could imagine what this looked like, because if you're thinking, um, if you're thinking this very orderly, um, you don't know children very well. You haven't been around kids for a while, Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen a bunch of kids rush somebody. That's a daily occurrence in my life. And, and it is chaotic. And it's loud. It is not single file. Right? It's not quiet. And, and I don't, I'm picturing, you know, girls with pigtails and, you know, sticky hands and boys with dirty shirts and boogers. And they're all coming and they're coming to Jesus. Right? If you've traveled in the developing world, by the way, Children are not clean. They are very, very dirty. And here they come to Jesus. And evidently, the disciples are not happy with this at all. As you read on in verse 15. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. You see all the joy of this, I think, very happy events abruptly ended by these cranky apostles shooing off these kids. Right? You see the kids walking away sad, can't you? And the parents with babies in their arms, heads hung low in disappointment, walking back home. In fact, they even rebuked them for doing this. You notice that word. Jesus has done some rebuking in the Gospel of Luke. He's rebuked a hurricane. He rebukes demons. The apostles, they like to rebuke caring parents and eager children. Now, we're not told why, but I think it's probably easy to speculate, isn't it? Maybe they didn't like kids. That might be one way. Maybe, maybe they thought that this was a waste of Jesus' time, right? Kids can't help your cause. They, have, they bring no connections. They bring no resources with them. Maybe they thought this was some kind of an interruption into his important mission. Maybe they had the whole day planned out, right? They had a big event planned out, and, and these kids are just kind of interrupting their plans, and, and Jesus is getting sticky and, and dirty, and, and they're wiping boogers on Jesus, and it's just... It's all out. It's not according to the order of service, right? We have an order here, and it's supposed to go the way we want it to go. And they don't like this. And these kids are just all on Jesus, and they're 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 undoubtedly yanking on Jesus's beard. Uh, by the way, kids love beards. I just want you to understand that. I know many of you don't love beards. Um, you tell me all the time, and and I don't know if my mom's putting you up to it or what's going on. But but they loved it, right? And they, Jesus loved it. And they're grabbing him, and, 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 the, and, he, and the apostles are freaking out, right? They stay away from Jesus. You notice Jesus' response in verse 16. But when Jesus called them to him, I, I think calling them, he's referring not to the kids or their parents, but to the apostles, saying, let the children Come to me and do not hinder them. Right? He's saying, what are you doing? Right? Somebody bring me a baby. Right? Bring these children to me. Let, he's saying, let's stop everything. Let's throw away the plan and let's minister to kids today. Jesus clearly, thoroughly 
enjoyed such opportunities. He loved being with children. I love the passage in Isaiah that I think captures God's heart when he says he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them close to his heart. He loves them. The apostles had a totally different attitude towards children than Jesus did. And I wonder if we're honest, perhaps we have more of the attitude of the apostles and the disciples in our heart than we have the attitude of Christ. I think sometimes children are are seen as unimportant and obstacles to perhaps what we really want. I think sometimes we have this attitude towards children that, that, that they're... They're, they're not to be interfere in our lives. I, I remember um, years ago, Legger and I were having dinner with a, a couple, and uh, they had two grown kids that were off and doing their own thing, and then they had a son who was about 10 years old. And I, I remember, I still remember to this day, the, the parents were telling us, and I don't know how we got in this conversation, but they were saying, listen, we got married and we had our kids early, and the idea was to raise our kids and to send them off. And then we, you know, get them out of the house, and then we could start really living and enjoying life. But then Joey came. And I'm thinking, do you realize Joey's here? He's at the table. He could hear you. I think that sometimes just subtly seeps into our heart. Maybe you've seen the cartoon of the man on one knee proposing with a caption reading, Emily, I want you to be the mother who hires the nanny of my children. I think Jesus' attitude is totally different. When you Listen, when you care for a child, you are placing the value that God places on them. Jesus says, bring me the children because I love them. So I I want to be clear. uh, We are happy to have children in this church. Are we not? We are, in fact, happy to have children in our worship service together. Now, we have a wonderful nursery. We have a wonderful children's worship uh, a program, ministry. But I want you to be clear, if, if you're inclined to bring your kids here, we are happy to have kids in the service. We're happy to have babies in the service. And you think, well, what if they get disruptive, right? What, what, if, the, what if my child asks a question or has, has taken potty or gets in a fight with, with his brother or something? What, what happens if something like that happens? I'll tell you what happens. We praise God because that's what kids do. And I think we would rather have kids and a little commotion than no kids and no commotion. I don't want to be the church that doesn't have kids. Right? And so let's bring the kids. You say, well, the kids makes noise. Praise God. That means I haven't put them to sleep yet. Right? In fact, they're helping keep you awake, so they're ministering to you already. Right? And so we praise God for that. Um, what if the baby cries? Praise God. That means we have a baby. Praise God. There's a baby in our church. Right? And the baby starts screaming. We got the room, the scream room or whatever you call it. Right? And so you could take them there if they're like going crazy. But babies, that's what babies do. They cry. Let's bring them in. Don't send them away. Jesus, bring them to me. In fact, you know, sometimes we, we call this room, um, we call this room a, a sanctuary, don't we? And I've, I've always had trouble with that, that term because it, it seems connected with the temple and I'm not sure how healthy or theologically right it is to understand that this is kind of like a temple. And, and the problem is, is what, what do you call it if you don't call it a sanctuary? Some, I, I've tried calling it an auditorium, but that doesn't sound right, does it? Um, some people call it the meeting hall. 
Um, and I was thinking about that. I was just working on this sermon. What if we called it the living room? Okay? Right? Just think about it. We've got the big TVs. Right? <laughs> we got couches everywhere. Right? Okay, we've got the stereo system. Right? And, and it's, it's our living room. And it's, 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 right? And no, you're not getting a lazy boy, okay? So we're not going too far. But it's where we gather together. And God's our Father and the family gathers, including our kids, and we gather in the living room. This is where we come and meet. Now, if you want to play tag, you, you play that on the jungle gym. That's elsewhere, right? Or if you, we eat in the dining room and we play outside and, and we come to the living room to be together as a family, kids included. We should love children. Jesus secondly teaches us that we should teach children. Teach children. In verse 16, Jesus, as we've already seen, says, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. The disciples were hindering the children from coming to Jesus. In Mark's account, it actually says Jesus was indignant with the disciples. This, by the way, is the only time the scripture ever says Jesus is indignant. And he's indignant with these, his followers hindering kids from coming to him. They're doing the exact opposite of he wants. Now, in contrast to the disciples are the adults who are bringing these children. They're unidentified. I think we could probably assume that they are their parents, that they're bringing these kids. And, um, and, and we, I think, should continue to bring our kids to Jesus, just like they did. He loves your kids just as he as much as he loved these kids and he still says to us i think let the children come to me now we can't bring our children to jesus physically but we can bring our children to jesus spiritually we can bring them to know jesus and to enter into a relationship with jesus and this i think is primarily the responsibility is clearly primarily the responsibility of parents right parents you are to bring your children to jesus You're not to hinder them, as Jesus says. The best way to hinder your child from coming to Jesus is to act one way on Sunday morning and to act another way at home. The best way to hinder your kids from coming to Jesus is to, to, as you're, is to play at church and and when you're home, you're never praying. They never see the Bible open. You're, you're never talking about your faith. Your relationship with God doesn't impact how you treat your spouse. They'll, they'll pick up on that. That will be a great massive obstacle for the rest of their life for them to come to Christ. Do not hinder them, but bring them to Him. Jesus says the best way you do that is you teach your children about God. Not, please understand, I am not simply saying live a good Christian life in front of them and talk about God when opportunities arise. No, you sit down with your kids regularly, routinely, and you teach them what you believe. You impart your faith to them. And I think so often we spend far more time concerned about their physical well-being than their spiritual well-being when the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, as our brother John read for us, impress on your children these truths when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Right? That's our great commission as parents. Bring them to Christ. It's not the church's job. God did not give your children to the church. He gave them to you. Now, the church can help you. And one of the best ways the church will help you to bring your kids to Jesus is by bringing you to Jesus and teaching you about Jesus that you can understand who Christ is and how we follow Him so that you can be equipped now to lead your kids to do likewise. But you have to teach your kids. And I would encourage the kids to ask your parents, what, what, Mom, Dad, ask them at lunch, what is the gospel? In two minutes, tell me the gospel. 
Let them teach you. Let them impart this faith to you. I think the best way to do this is in a time of family worship. I would very much encourage you to spend time together as a family and doing three things. You open the Word, you pray, and you sing. Right? Some have said song, scripture, and supplication. You open the words with your kids. You read the Word. You sit down with them. You open the Bible and you talk about it. And you ask questions and you discuss it. Sometimes Bible storybooks are helpful when kids are young, but, but read the Scripture with them. Ask questions for them. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul reminding Timothy, from childhood you have known the Holy Scripture which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From childhood. Whom taught, who taught Timothy the Scripture? Well, we know it was dad was out of the picture. So it was mom, right? And not only mom, it was grandma, wasn't it? I think there's great lessons for you grandparents. That you too can bring your children to Jesus. I mean, what if every time your grandkids came over, they knew one thing grandma was going to do with me, one thing grandpa was going to do with me every time. He's going he's to put his hand on me. He's going to pray for me. What if, what if they knew that I'm not going to see them without grandma? She's going to open the word and she's just going to share for a minute or two what she's been reading. What if they, well, they heard that from you? I wonder what impact that would make in their lives. See, the Word of God is indispensable in bringing our kids to the Lord. It, it's indispensable to protect them from this culture in which we live in. I don't know if you recognize the, the massive cultural tidal wave that is just uh, besieging us as it carries our culture farther and farther away from our God and the truth in which we hold dearly. How are we going to stand against that? How are we going to get our kids to stand against that? We have to put the word into their heart. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We teach our kids the scripture. We pray with our kids in family worship. We, we teach our kids to pray to God by having them pray to God. You pray for the needs in your family. Maybe you get a, a, a jar with all of our missionaries in there and the kids will pull out what missionary they're going to pray for that night or, or what needs that there are in our church. Or you, you, pray, you pray for the service. Every Saturday night when we gather for family worship, my kids, all of them, they pray for our time together on Sunday morning that God would be honored and glorified. And they pray that in their own way, right? Uh, and often they, they, you know, my kids, I remember my kids first start praying, you know, almost all my kids start praying like this, God, thank you for the giraffes, right? You remember that? Thank you for the rhinoceros. Thank you for octopus uh, or oct- whatever. Thank you for turtles. Thank you for toads. Sometimes they, they go on for like, for like uh, 10 minutes, right? Thank you for slugs and worms and, and they're just going on, but it's beautiful. The prayer of a child is, I mean, it's the sincere request of a, God, a child just talking to their creator. Let them pray. Teach them to pray. Let them hear you praying. Let them hear daddy seeking God's aid for his family and exalting him in praise. Open the word. Pray with them. And sing with them. Every time we gather for family worship, we always sing the doxology sometimes. We'll sing some hymns. I know of one pastor who gives his kids $3 for every hymn they memorize. He got that idea from Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, English pastor of the 19th century. Spurgeon said, uh, My grandfather was very fond of Dr. Watts' hymns, and my grandmother, wishing me to learn them, promised me a penny for each one that I should say to her perfectly. He said, I found it an easy and pleasant method of earning money. 
and learn them so fast that grandmother said she must reduce the price to a half penny each. And afterwards to a farthing, I don't know what that is, but I guess it's less, if she did not mean to be quite ruined by her extravagance. There is no telling how low the amount per him might have sunk, but grandfather said that he was getting overrun, overrun with rats and offered me a shilling a dozen for all I could kill. I found at the time, Spurgeon says, that the occupation of rat catching paid me better than learning hymns. But I know which employment has been the more permanently profitable to me. No matter what topic I am preaching, I can even now, in the middle of any sermon, quote some verse of a hymn in harmony with the subject. The hymns have remained with me while those old rats for years have passed away, and the shillings I earned by killing them have been spent long ago. I sing together. One of my favorite parts of of Christmas is my kids always do a, a Christmas performance, and there's dances, and there's plays, and there's... There's songs. I remember this last Christmas, uh, one of my kids was doing a solo rendition of Silent Night. And, you know the song, uh, Silent Night, Holy Night, All's Calm, All's Bright, Round Yon Virgin, Mother and Child. My, my child couldn't quite figure out those words. And instead of saying, Round Yon Virgin, she's saying, Count Your Virgins. <laughs> a, I don't know if she, I was concerned she might have converted to Islam for a moment, but... Um, <laughs> We all laughed and it was great fun and celebration. And man, you don't have those times unless you orchestrate them together. Right? I, I value those times as a family. Not because they're always funny. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're hard to get through. Sometimes there's a lot of disruptions. But it creates opportunities for discussions and unites us together as a family and develops an understanding and a devotion to prayer. I would encourage you to bring your kids to Jesus. If Jesus was indignant with those who would not bring their kids to Him physically, what what is His attitude for those parents who would not bring them to Him spiritually? Bring them to kids. Bring bring your kids to the Lord. And by the way, um, use the church to help you. We do have a church here to help us, don't we? Praise God. And I, I don't know, many of you think that maybe children or youth ministry is kind of secondary to real ministry in the church. Maybe Jesus would challenge you a little bit here today. Some will testify, and I've heard them, the profound impact that, that was made upon their life, the lifetime impact that was made upon their life by someone who was ministered to them when they were children or when they were youth. I don't know, perhaps some of you who are involved in this ministry, maybe you feel worn down, maybe you feel like, oh, another Sunday school lesson. I, I, I wish you would know the profound impact for the glory of God you are making upon the lives of these children. You work in nursery, work in children's worship, Sunday school, youth groups. Some of you volunteer with the Easter outreach. Many of you pack backpacks. I don't know if you know, we, we send food home for eight kids in our community every weekend. Some of you go to Eagle Butte in June or Ghana in August or the VBS here in August. Some of you give to West African Mercy Ministry that's ministering to discarded children in, in Ghana. I tell you, all of that honors God. God, that's a reflection of Jesus. And, and I want to encourage you. In fact, my hope is that in response to this sermon, Pastor Josh will be overwhelmed with requests to work in these ministries. It just so happened by, I think, perhaps God's coincidence that I had some extra time this morning before Sunday school and I was chatting with Cindy Corson in the nursery and she said, you know, last Sunday we had 17 children from the ages 0 to 3. 
17, all crammed in one room. I mean, they need help. And maybe you think, well, you know, I've already done my time. I mean, it's just the wrong attitude. You know, maybe you're a little bit older and you say, well, I did that when I was a mom. I'm telling you, that's the wrong attitude. Look how much Jesus loves them and values them. It's not that you put in your time. It's you value what Christ values, and he values clearly children. If you're single, work the nursery. Practice on other people's kids before you have your own, right? Right? They go for it. You get an hour to learn what to do with them. Right? Let's bring neighborhood kids to, to our church. Non-believing families will let you take their kids to church, right? Take them. Let's bring children to Jesus. Of course, the primary point here is not so much to teach children, though I think it's clearly here. It's not so much to love children. The primary point that Jesus wants to drive home is that we should learn from children. That children show us, every one of us, regardless of our age, how we must enter into the kingdom of God. And so let's learn from children. Look in verse 16. And Jesus concludes saying, for to such, literally, maybe your translation says, to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying that the kingdom of God belongs to these children in particular. He's saying that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these children. The such as these, I think, is defined there in verse 17. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so people need to, such as these are people who receive God's kingdom like a child. You notice he says, truly I say to you, that's his way of bolding what he's about to say, underlining it. This is important, pay attention. You want to know how to enter the kingdom of God, this is how you do it. I remind you, the kingdom of God, I think, is understood well when we understand it as God's people living in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessings. This is what the Pharisees asked about in chapter 17 and verse 20. When is the kingdom of God coming? It's, I think, ultimately what the, the parable, the tax, the prayer of the tax collector and the Pharisee was about, that this man walked away justified, not the other. It's what the rich young ruler is going to ask about in verse 18 when he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? This is what Jesus refers to about the, the kingdom of God. How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says there's only one way to enter, and is to enter like a child. Now, that, let me be clear. That does not mean we come in a, in a state of innocence, as some have suggested. Like childlike innocence. If you think children are innocent, you haven't met a two-year-old. Right? Right? Nor does it mean that we were to be childish. That is immature. There's a difference between childlike and childish. And childishness, if you will, is not a virtue, right? He's not commending an immature faith. The Bible exhorts us in 1 Corinthians 14 to be evil. In evil, be infants, right? But in your thinking, be mature. So what does it mean to come as a child? Well, I would suggest that I think it probably means two. we come as a child in two ways. The first way is that we, there's a joyful trust. A joyful trust. I think one of the most remarkable things about children is they have this, this deep trust in their parents. I mean, you tell a child anything, they'll believe you. You tell them, you know, a, a chubby man dressed in red comes to, through a chimney once a year and leaves things for kids, all, and they're going to they're gonna believe you, right? Or some, you know, pixie comes and takes changes your teeth for, for money. They'll, they'll believe you. I don't know, you ever talk to a kid that says, uh, you know, we have a dragon in our house? 
And you say, well, what do you mean you got a dragon at your house? Have you, have you seen it? He says, no, but my dad told me we got a dragon. Right? They just believe it. It doesn't matter what you say to kids. They're, they're just going to believe it. There's this trust. Right? When they're little, they'll believe anything you say. Of course, they, get, they grow out of that, don't they? But that, Perhaps another sermon. Right? We, we should have this kind of trust in our father. If he says it, I believe it. The church father Jerome said, it is those who are childlike in trustfulness who are best fitted for the kingdom. Do you trust him? I'm not saying don't think things through. I'm not saying don't ask questions. But is there a disposition to trust God? I think this is what it means to be childlike. In fact, it's beyond trust. It's this, this delight in trusting you know, the way God is oriented me, when I, when I come to Scripture, I, I like to figure everything out. I, that's why I love Paul, Paul's writing so much. I, I like to get into the verb tense and the, the nuances of the verb and, 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 and look at its literary context and kind of put it all together. And I like, I like to diagram sentences. Uh, and I like to, uh, whenever I come to a passage of Scripture, I diagram it out. And I, uh, I, I really like to kind of just dissect and think and look and, and get critical about the passage and, and looking in detail. But you, sometimes that's good. I think that is good. But sometimes we need to be, I think, more like kids with their dad, right? Not trying to figure everything out, just, just being with him, right? Kids are always joyful. There's always this excitement about them. I mean, you ever, you're having a conversation with someone and your kid comes up and says, dad, 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 right? And it's terribly annoying, isn't it? Um, but, but you say, what? And they say, look, it's a rock, right? <laughs> or look, I got a worm, right? And they're just all excited about that. I remember my son Josiah, he's on his, his first backpacking trip without dad. He's with his Boy Scout troop this weekend. And, and, but I remember when Josiah was six years, when my kids turned six, they go on their first backpacking trip with daddy. And I, I, I still remember this to, to the day. I can picture in my mind and taking Josiah uh, backpacking and we've hiked in five miles and we were camping by this stream and, and, and he sees this frog in the stream and he just, he just, his instinct is to just jump in right after that frog. Right, and and he's jumping, and the frog is jumping, and then he's jumping, and water is going everywhere. And I was so incredibly proud, and and uh, you know I wish all you were here to see this, my boy going after this frog. And I have this picture in my mind of the, my six-year-old boy with this big old bullfrog, and he's holding it up with a goofy grin on his face, dripping wet, and he says, "Look, Dad, a frog." <laughs> it's just this delight, right? That's kids with their dad. And I tell my girls, I love you, sweetheart. You know, my girls have never, I don't know how many hundreds of times I've told my girls I love them. You know, they have never said to me, well, what do you mean, Dad? You know, is this an agape love or is this a phileo love, right? I mean, is your love for me predicated on my first loving you or did you love me first, right? Now, I think those questions are important to think about scripturally. I'm not saying let's not think about those questions. I think those are important for us to flesh out. But sometimes we just need to be with Him. Sometimes we need to get out of our head once in a while. Sometimes we just need to lighten up and enjoy God. And it, I, Listen, let me just tell you something. It's okay to get excited. Right? It's okay to get loud. Right? God's given us that ability. It's okay to cheer. Right? These are hands. Right? Look, they make noise. Right? That's, so, that's called clapping. That's okay. Raising your hands, as the Bible tells us over and over in the book of Psalms, that's okay. 
It's okay to have joy when we gather together. It's okay to celebrate. If you're not going to celebrate what we do on Sunday morning, what are you going to celebrate? I mean, God has put celebration in our hearts. Should we not celebrate that, that, listen, you are saved. You're going to live forever. Your sins are forgiven. God is your Father. Jesus is alive. Can we celebrate those truths? Praise God. Thank you very much. It's okay to, right? Sometimes we just need to enjoy Him like a child. Joyful trust. But I think there's also communicating here, there's a humble dependence. A humble dependence. Children are totally dependent on others for their care. They are helpless. That's why it's so overwhelming when you have a baby. Right? Because you realize, okay, here's a new person. And uh, their life is totally dependent on you in every way. Right? They, they, they can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't dress themselves. They sometimes can't even burp themselves. And, and you have to do that over and over, day after day after day after day. Right? And, and, and maybe, maybe you just had your first child. Maybe you just have a child. Maybe your child's in the nursery. Just to let you know, after service, the child will not make his or her way to you. They cannot move on themselves. Right? You have to go get them. Totally dependent. In fact, I find it interesting that of all the young in this world, it seems that human helplessness for our young goes farther than any other young, animal young in this world, if I can put it that way. They're just helpless for years. I mean, I have a 12-year-old. She still doesn't make money. She's still depending on that. 12 years, right? I'm still feeding her, right? Still depending on me, still receiving from me. And I think that might be the key. As we see in verse 17, Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child. I wonder if that word is helpful for us to understand that we have to receive it. We don't earn it. We don't negotiate it. We just feel helpless and and we just receive it. I think children are the visual aid to the tax collector's prayer, right? Help me, I need you, save me, right? Completely dependent upon what God has done for you. If you are to enter the kingdom of God, you have to receive it like a child. The fundamental posture of a Christian is dependence, is this humble dependence. It's, humil- it's, it's humbling to be dependent, isn't it? You, you, if you're dependent, you're not earning your keep, you're not, you're not contributing to it, you're not counting your own achievements, right? Children are, are by nature humble, right? Uh, I, you can't find a self-righteous child. It, it's, it's impo- a child never says, never prays like the Pharisee, I thank you God lo- that I'm not like those babies over there, right? A child, a child never says, well, I've been attending nursery for years now. Okay? They don't have that attitude. They don't struggle with pride. They don't come with their resume. In fact, I think when Jesus says in verse 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted, is in many ways the same way of what he says in verse 17. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I think it's the same idea that childlikeness is this humble dependence. Therefore, to enter the kingdom of God, you do not have to be the good moral person or have a life full of religious activity or try better. You do not think, do not think, I have to be good for God to accept me. No child ever thinks that. You come with humble dependence and this extraordinary authority, Jesus is truly, I say to you, he promises the kingdom of God 
to those who trust Him in humble dependence. A child of God. You know a phrase you'll never find in the Bible? Adults of God. It's not there. We're all children. It's the only way that we can come is as a children. What a blessing from the Lord that He's given us here. What a blessing children are that they can teach us, give us a picture of how we are supposed to be, that we can learn from them. You could look at a child in a daddy's arms and ask, do I depend, do I trust my father like that? You know who I think had uh, the greatest childlike faith? Jesus. Bible, we know from the um, Gospels that he's almost at Jerusalem at this time. It'll be weeks, maybe a month before he'll be nailed to the cross. It'll be a week, a weeks or a month before he prays in the garden. His heart's desire, but then concludes, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Is that not a childlike prayer? I trust you, Father, even if it means you're sending me to the cross. That's where he'll go. He'll go to the cross in order to open the door to the kingdom for us. And he would do all that is required to open that door, so I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is receive it. Dying there, paying for my sin, not dying because he's bad, but dying because I'm bad and selfish and gone my own way. And there he pays for my sin as a substitute for me and all who would trust in him. And as we'll consider at length next week, God willing, rising from the dead three days later to show us he has victory over death. And now the Bible says, if you will just receive his work by bowing your knee to him in a repentant faith, a trusting faith, a submitting faith, you will be saved. You will come into God's kingdom. The Christian author Philip Yancey tells uh, a, the story of Dr. Paul Brand returning to the Indian village where he was raised as a missionary kid. I'd like to share this story with you as we end our time together. He says, suddenly the jeep crested a small hill and an amazing sight met us. 150 people were waiting alongside the road and had been waiting, we soon learned, soon learned, for four hours. They surrounded our car, greeting us in the traditional Indian fashion, palms held high, heads bowed. Women, colorful as tropical birds in their bright silk saris, draped floral lays around our necks and led us to a feast spread on banana leaves. After the meal, everyone crowded into the mud wall chapel, built by Paul Brand's father, and treated us to an hour-long program of hymns, tributes, and ceremonial dances. Yancey continues saying, I remember one speech especially by a woman who spoke of Paul's mother. The hill tribes didn't practice abortion, she said. They disposed of unwanted children by leaving them beside the road. Granny Brand would take these take in these children, nurse them back to health, rear them and try to educate them. I was one of the unwanted ones left to die. There were several dozen of us. But she treated it more like an adoption center than an orphanage. We called her the mother of the hills. When I did well in study, she paid for me to go off to a proper school, and eventually I earned a master's degree. I now teach nursing at the university, and I have come several hundred miles today to honor the brands 
for what they did for me and many others. An incredible story of Granny Brand taking in unwanted children into her home, pointing them to Jesus. It is beautiful and it's Christ-like and all Christians should love like she loves. But as beautiful as it is, as beautiful as her love is, the greater lesson here is not seen in this missionary, but it's seen in the children she loved. It's seen in the children in desperation, reaching up for her. Right? We shouldn't look at the story and simply relate and say, I want to be like her, right? Instead, we should relate to the little children who had no chance left out to die unless someone came and saved them. Unless they're loved. That's us. That's our story. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To be saved by Him. Completely, totally by Him. And if you do not know that you are a child of God, helpless, dependent child, simply reaching your arms up to a loving and gracious Father, you will never enter the kingdom of God. It's only by depending on Him. He loves you. Please understand, He loves you more than you will ever understand. And so let us all here put away all of our morality and our religious acts as a way to earn His favor and look to Him as a child and come into His kingdom. Our Father, we are thankful for the grace of our God that He is not looking for people who have it all together, who have it figured it out, have figured it out. He is looking for those who recognize they do not and therefore are totally dependent on Him. Humble us a little bit, Father, as we thank You, as we are reminded today how helpless we are without You. That You and Your kindness would come through Christ and sacrifice everything to reach down and grab us and bring us into Your arms. It is our great privilege today to call You by Your grace, our Father. I pray for those here who do not know You as their Father. You are their Creator, but not their Father. Help them to reach up to You even now, saying, I believe. Save me, Hosanna. Save me, that they too might come into the kingdom, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.